Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. Uh, my name is Mudiwa Kawaza. And for today, we're going to be talking, um, you know, around uh, something that is, uh, you know, quite, I don't know what the word is to use, uh, because if we say prevalent, uh, that has bad connotations on it. It's, it is a prominent feature of uh, the South African economy, uh, that is uh, black economic empowerment. Uh, some people, you know, extend that further to say uh, broad-based black economic empowerment, um, you know, so depending, you know, on uh, which way you take it, uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. A huge piece of doing business in South Africa has to do um, with ratings um, around BEE and, uh, you know, a lot of that can and uh, can uh, open up or close, um, you know, certain doors. So the ratings uh, that uh, organizations, companies, businesses, tend to have um, around, uh, you know, BEE tend to be very important. And we have organizations that specialize in actually going out and assessing uh, the BEE credentials of uh, companies. And for today, we are going to be chatting to one of those companies uh, that is Honeycomb uh, BEE BEE Ratings. I hope I pronounced that uh, correctly. And uh, for today, we're going to be chatting to Deirdre Mitchell, who is uh, the MD of Honeycomb just to get a little bit of insight into the state of the industry, but also some of the more, I'm going to call them nefarious, um, you know, parts of, uh, you know, what's going on because, um, you know, in terms of, like we said, it's an important part of doing business and it does, you know, seem as if some people are willing to, you know, to stretch the boundaries, you know, around um, you know, um, getting you know, some of those top ratings but also at the same time, the other side of that coin, um, you also have people, you know, that masquerade themselves as, you know, being, you know, really good people that are going to help you to get your BE ratings up but they're scammers nonetheless so we're going to be unpacking all of that Deirdre, greetings to you today how are you? Alive, good, well, and thriving on this end, thank you so much you know, for, for, for being with us for today Good place for us to start is always getting a sense of the organization, you know, that our experts are coming in from. Um, so Honeycomb uh, BE ratings, a little bit about uh, the organization, the company, and what it is that you guys do. Thank you, Madiwe. Thank you for having us on the show. Honeycomb BE ratings is one of the first rating agencies that was ever accredited. There were five accredited in 2007 by SANAS to issue BE certificates. And Honeycomb was one of those first five. We are still currently accredited, obviously, but we're very proud of the fact that we have maintained that accreditation. We are currently one of the top rating rating agencies in the country, one of the largest, doing large corporate and a huge portion of the large corporate whom we're very proud to assist into their rating. Um, Ethical business and what we do is 100% who we are. So we end up representing a lot of large ethical businesses, which makes us exceptionally proud. All right. Um, one or two things I want to, you know, understand, and I'm, I'm really glad 
that I have someone who is in this particular, um, you know, field of work, because I think some of the curiosities that people might have out there, uh, some people have gone through the process, some people are intimidated by the process. And then you also have some people who have no idea, you know, what the process is about. So right now I'm going to put on my hat as a consumer, right? Because often when you interface with certain companies, certain businesses, one of the things that, you know, one of the ways in which uh, they you market themselves is to say, oh, we've got a BEE rating like A, B, C, and D. Um, maybe you could help us to understand maybe two things, you know, for the layman, right? To say when a person, when a company has a, a top rating, right? What is a top rating, right? As in, because we have a lot of letters. This is one of those things that comes with the, with the, what you call this, uh, with a lot of letters, you know, around the score. So what's a good score? And then at the same time, what are some of the things that uh, are taken into considerations to give, you know, some of these organizations a top score? So to simplify BE, what happens from our side is, is that we actually ultimately um, verify you on your contribution towards transformation in the past year from a financial aspect and currently as with your ownership and your management control. The way I present it to people who are laymans is I say to them that your BE is like doing an exam. In an exam, you've got five tests in BE. We generally have five elements, five areas that we test you over. And obviously, the more marks you get, the higher your points are, the higher your level. So if somebody says to you they are currently a level four, what it means is, is that for me, they are even kill. If you spend money with a level four, you will get 100% recognition towards your own certificate under who you procure from in your um, during your own verification. If the client is a level one, you will actually get 135% of whatever you've actually done business-wise with them, the value. So if you've spent a million rand, you can actually count 1.35 million towards your own verification when you do. Procurement in itself, who you procure from, ultimately that whole element counts up, counts 45% of the total verification. So it's like one of your questions being worth 45% in your exam. So it's a big portion who you buy from and who you do business with is a massive portion of your own verification. And that in itself ultimately creates that snowball or the domino effect that your suppliers need to be BE rated and have good levels to do business with you. Your, your level and, and what you do in your business or what you need to be is 100% dependent on your competition. Ultimately, if your competition are a level six, you don't need to be a level one. Um, so, but the, we find obviously the more competitive the industry is, the higher the levels will be, um, similar to any form of economics. So if you're a very, very elitist supplier and you've got a unique product, you will obviously be able to get your level as good as you can, but you would because you've got the product, they can't go somewhere else. Um, they can't they can't negotiate with you on a on a BE certificate. But quite honestly, people gain and win tenders on BE certificate or contracts. It's not just tender-based. It's not just with government now, because obviously if you do business with government, your certificate has to be a specific level. But then in order for that supplier to government to get a specific level, they need their suppliers to meet, come to the party as well. So procurement is the big portion of it, and that just happens automatically um, within the industry. But the other big 
part of BE, which is obviously my, my area that I love, is the skills development side of it. Because I believe that if we skill our country, we will transform our country and thereby obviously empower people to become um, obviously more educated. We will have people we can put into positions of management and we will have people that then can run companies, own companies, and we will grow and transform that way. That is what I feel very strongly about. Now, Deirdre, I really like the fact that um, you've already spoken about competition, right? Because I think it sets uh, a clear, um, can I call it a clear baseline um, as to the incentives for companies to take, um, you know, some uh, BE ratings seriously. Um, and I think you literally just said it, that you can literally win or lose tenders um, or contracts based on, um, you know, what your BE rating is, where you're buying from, all of that stuff. Um, so we understand it from that point of view. And um, you've spoken about the skills development part, and you've also spoken quite at length about, you know, the procurement piece business people tend to look at efficiencies right this the, the the shortest distance from point a to point b is a straight line and they're usually looking for the straightest line to get to you know where they want to go in this particular case a good be rating um, as you described to us earlier on skills development versus procurement right which of these is a low-hanging fruit or does it depend? It can depend, but quite honestly, um, skills development, the company has control over. So if I'm going to, as I said, skills is an element. So one of the parts, the factors that we rate you on, that is in order to score points on that, you have to scale a percentage of your headcount of your staff, and you have to spend a certain amount of your salaries and wages towards um, skilling, um, obviously, South African, black South Africans and a proportion of that towards disability. So if I spend that and I get it right, I will get my points. Procurement, I'm not 100% in control of what my supplier's certificate levels are. So it, it is not as easy to get your procurement points as it is to get your skills points. So the stuff that is easier to achieve and to actually obtain the points is where people go because they need their the security knowing that if I do this, I'm going to get those points. Okay, cool. And, and yeah, okay. I can definitely see something like that. Like you said, um, locus of locus of control, you know, becomes a big thing in this particular case. Um, I'd rather, you know, invest in that, which I can, you know, have direct control over as opposed to an externality, which may or may not be under my control. And on that level, um, because one of the big reasons why um, we are even having this conversation is because, um, you know, you've uh, written and you've also been a little bit outspoken about the fact that uh, people, you know, can be quite uh, you know, misguided when it comes to skills and, you know, uh, some of these initiatives as a way to get, um, I, I guess, BE points up. You've explained to us just now, you know, to say that um, skills are something that you can uh, invest in. Um, as long as you are putting money towards upskilling your black South Africans, you can, you can, you can do that and you can get your points. Where are the wheels falling off? Madiwe, to be quite honest, the wheels are falling off in that um, the I would say it's in your um, not your large large enterprises, but your um, 
the smaller medium enterprises are spending money. The skill spends, if you think about it, ultimately works out at 6% of a company's salaries and wages. But the headcount is also on a percentage of the number of people they employ. And when you're in manufacturing or in large, larger businesses where your, your headcount is large, you can end up needing to spend uh, quite a large sum of money on skills. One needs to understand that from BE, we're supposed to be aligning with the Skills Development Act, which was gazetted long before BE was gazetted. And the Skills Development Act, we all pay SDLs every month on our salaries, etc. Our companies are supposed to take a portion of our sal- or pay a portion over for SDLs every month. So that portion that's been paid over, if a company does their skills correctly, they will actually get that money back from the CETAs who run the skills in this country. But the companies, it's, it's a lot of work and the guys don't have the time and the, the people to run it. So what's happening is we've got all these, um, I don't know what to call them, fly-by-nights, unscrupulous consultants um, and certain <laughs> middlemen that are acting, not necessarily a registered academy, but they are facilitating and saying to the companies, give us your money, we can do this for you, we can do that for you. And um, when you finished it the day, you'll get this money back and you'll get that money back. And what they don't tell them is, number one, the guys need to actually qualify and pass the course to get the money back. So you need to have reputable learners. You need to have reputable candidates, people that are committed to learning, committed to finishing the course, and you will get your money back. But if you just quickly go and buy a thousand learners from somebody, put them through the training at the last minute, just before your financial year end, the chances are those people are not going to meet the requirements for BE. So when we come to do the verification, the fi- the money spent, the ship has sailed, but we end up in a position where those the requirements that are meant for BE, which aligns with the Skills Act, are not being met. Met, and it's all informal skills, not formal skills as we quali- categorize it, because it's not a formal proper qualification. And companies are losing out in a position where they are not actually getting the full recognition for these points. And like we said, they were relying on getting that full quota of points that were available. Now they're not getting it. And it'll cost them levels. Skills is also what we call a priority element. So you have to meet 40% of the sub-minimum on it. So if you don't, you get discounted. So not only do you lose the points, we minus the level for you as well. We punish you for it. So the guys are spending... I mean, we've had a situation where um, we've had a large client who spent about 11.6 million on skills that never qualified to meet the points for, for BE. So it was classified as informal. Then informal, we limit you to one and a half points in any case. So you're not getting much for it. And they ended up losing all the points for their skills, yet they spent 11.6 million on the skills. And it cost them the points, cost them the level, cost them everything. And as we've said, if you lose a level, you lose business. If you lose three levels, you lose a lot of business. So I'm finding that there's a lot of shortcuts that are being offered in the industry to companies. And they're seeing this and they're thinking, oh, thank God, somebody's going to give us an easy solution to doing this. It's not going to cost us a lot of work. And they're ending up doing it, ending up spending a fortune, and they're not getting the points that are available to them correctly. But they've spent the money. If they spent that money somewhere else, not only would they get the points from a top rating agency, because there are some rating agencies who will take a chance, but a top rating agency like Honeycomb, not only will you get those points, you will end up in a position where you'll be able to claim that money back from your relevant seat as well. So it will not be, 
you'll 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 fund it, but you will ultimately get the money back as well. So skills, when played correctly and done correctly, is a workable form formula. Um, it's not a quick fix. It is something that is worked at. It is something that you continually turn the gears. And then you just there's companies out there. You you have um, registered reputable consultants and skills companies that can assist you and can do it for you. So you don't have to do it yourself, but there is no shortcut to doing skills properly. I want to drill down a little bit, uh, you know, into the example that you gave, because funny enough, that same example stuck out to me, you know, in a piece that you wrote. And I, I think for the benefit of someone who's, uh, you know, listening to this conversation, I just want to read, uh, you know, just this uh, brief paragraph here, uh, where it says, in one instance, a company spent more than 13.6 million rand on courses that did not qualify uh, for full points. And uh, we were forced to limit their claim to 15% as per the BEE codes. This equated to a net loss of 11.56 million rand uh, to the company concerned. This is one example of many uh, we have seen in the past uh, in the past few months. Um, one or two things as uh, uh, is interesting to me here. And you did explain why and how that whole thing ended up happening, right? But my question is, because this sort of feels like the procurement thing all over again, right? Because uh, now I'm sitting and I'm like, okay, cool. So now as a business, not only should I be concerned about what the BE rating is of the person I'm procuring, let's say, a service from who's part of my supply chain. But when it comes to skills development, I need to be concerned about, I guess, the type of course or the reputation or credibility of a particular um, educational institution in terms of delivering these courses because that may or may not affect my entire ability to claw back this money that I'm investing into skills development. Yeah, make it make sense. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it really does make sense, um, Madhira, if you actually just take five months and five minutes and you apply it from the beginning off. So what happens with the guys that are doing that are finding themselves in trouble with skills is they they are at the end of their financial year looking at what their salaries and wages were for the year and they're quickly doing a calculation and saying, this is what I need to spend. I need to spend it or I need to incur the expense before my financial year end ends. So the guy's financial year ends the 28th of Feb. He's quickly trying to do it all on the 26th of Feb. And he should have started on the 1st of March last year already trying to sort it all out and fix it. So if you just take five minutes to plan it ahead, you know, they say, Planning to fail is failing to plan. So if you just take five minutes and do it correctly from the onset monthly and say, this is my salaries and wages this month, therefore I need to spend so much on skills. And just spend that every month and appoint one or two people every month for your 12 months, you will have met your quota by the 12th month, which is what you need to do. Um, and to actually find reputable companies, make sure that the college you're dealing with is CETA accredited. Make sure the course material that you're doing is CTO credit. I mean, you and I are not going to give somebody money to do a bursary with a university that we don't know exists. We're going to check that the university exists. What's happening is, is that the CETA, the, 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 the skills side of um, 
the, the, the BE side of skills is that it is people, bursaries is fine. People are fine with the bursaries because it's always made sense to all of us. We understand what university is. But there's this foreign language where people talk about CETA courses or learnerships. A learnership means that there is practical and theory attached to it. And we like the practical side of it because we end up with a whole lot of university students who've passed their degrees and we can't employ them because they haven't learned to work or behave in a work environment. Whereas if you're doing a proper learnership through a CETA, in order to finish that, you've got to actually do your practical and your theory with it. So if you've got a proper course and you're doing it correctly and you are, can host those learners or they're going somewhere where they're learning some practical, they're learning to do their job properly, they're learning to be employed, you can be guaranteed you're doing the course properly and you will get your points. It, it just means that it's like I just said, if there's a shortcut and it's too good to be true, the chances are it is too good to be true. Okay. I think that helps us, you know, to understand a little bit, um, you know, around what's going on. And honestly, as you're talking, it really does sound like basic things uh, that people would be able to, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, would be able to verify and to check on their own, you know, is is a particular course, um, you know, registered with CETA, you know, is a particular institution uh, registered with CETA, are they authorized, do they have the permissions, do they have the certifications to offer some of, uh, you know, some of these courses, uh, but people, you know, will go out there and try to find their, their, their shortcuts out there. Before we, before I come back and attack the shortcuts bit, cost. Right. Um, I'm, I'm trying to put my hat on, trying to put multiple hats on. I spoke as a consumer earlier on, but now I'm trying to put on my small business hat. Um, as much as, let's say, uh, I'm going to get my money back later on, I might not necessarily have, let's say, the liquidity uh, to spend, let's say, five million rand on courses for all my staff. So I go and I approach one of these guys who promises, you know, miracles on earth for me when it comes to getting these courses done. Is there anything to be said about the cost of skills development on, you know, maybe smaller operators? If the business is, let's say, medium to large sized, uh, I'm sparing very little sympathy right you know using this example but um for now i'm just you know trying to see if there's anything to be said about maybe the costs around some of these things being a potential driver that gets people to employ some of these uh less reputable consultants um in the market there is um you know the the the, the way they get helped quite honestly is through the seaters um I need to be honest, we obviously, everybody in South Africa, we hear a lot about government organizations and there's always these, the, everybody goes, oh, are we going to get the money? I promise you with the CETAs, the, the, one of the areas that works exceptionally well in this country is the CETA. The CETA's job is 100% to take your money from SARS and give it back to you when you do the right thing. So if you do the right thing, like the client we referred to just now that spent just over 13 million, he wouldn't get that money back from the CETA. Whereas if you did do the right thing, you would get that money back from the CETA. And the more you do the right thing, the more the CETA gives you money back. 
So you'll end up in a situation where they call you like a platinum um, client and you could end up getting more back from the CETA than what you've initially spent. So it is a cash flow in that first year, but once you're in it and you're rolling, you will always continually get your money back from the CETA and you will get what you need. Um, you get a lot of recognition for skills for what you do as a company. So you get, we will equate to time, to people you've put into effort. So if I train somebody who's on a learnership and I take the time to train them, I can equate my time to money and everything like that. So there is areas that you can do that um, you can get recognition for to a value of money that is not necessarily costing you money. But obviously, you need to make sure your foundation is correct and that you are doing the correct thing. BE is complex and, and companies are overwhelmed by it and they, um, they're scared by it. But really, if it's not as complex as it, as it seems, it is, it is just simply if it's done correctly, it does work. And just, some, just if your consultant or your rating agency is really making it so complicated that you don't know what you're doing, by all definitions, it's not supposed to be like it. Your verification process should be simple, easy, and effective. If you use Honeycomb, it will be simple, easy, and effective. You get in, you get out, we're done within six weeks, two months, and you have your certificate. Um, and you make sure you use either your own internal transformation team or a consultant or somebody to set you up for that verification. But BE is not that difficult. Once you understand the fundamentals of it and you get it right, it really isn't difficult. I promise you our codes that we got adhere to are literally not even as thick as a normal diary. Um, so it can't be that complex because that's all we've got to work for. It's not a huge, big, you know, there's not archives of gazettes in, in um, the files in, in government full of information that's guiding us for BE. So a lot of it is common law. A lot of it is common practice, like Companies Act. Um, if your ownership is, is ownership as per the Companies Act, it's exactly the same. All we're doing is we're measuring the black person owning the shares. There's nothing fancy to it. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, no, it is, it is, a, it is a very interesting one. And I think, um, you know, one of the places that uh, as we are, you know, landing this conversation, I wanted to get your thoughts on. Um, obviously, you guys are a ratings agency, so you work externally to companies. Uh, but, you know, keen to get your thoughts, you know, for a business person or an organization, should they be creating an internal function that's dedicated to this, you know, um, the planning bit, because I think you said that the, earlier on that um, the just taking a few minutes to plan, right? And if you at least have one, a, a couple of people, a, a small department somewhere whose entire job it is to sit and plan around these issues. Um, so it's the question is just about should uh, an organization be developing um, some of these um, some of these functions internally, or is it better to get an external consultant to come in and you know help with uh, strategy from that point of view? Adiwa, that's a very, very good question. So your large entities, um, clients of ours like Discovery, Anglo-American, um, they all have internal departments that run it. They run very, very ethical, um, good systems, good internal departments that 24-7 um, concentrate on it. They have, Discovery have a wonderful designated skills um, 
section that just does skills. So they end up with an incredible um, platform. I think they have 34,000 learners this year, if I'm not mistaken. So it's a lot of people, a lot of courses that they offer. And that is a full-time job. To ensure that's done correctly, done properly, it is a full-time job. BE is a lot like doing your books. You would run, um, if you're a large entity, you would have an accounts team. You would have a bookkeeping team who would capture all your sales, all your um, purchases, everything, and keep your books. And once a year, your Ernest & Young or your PricewaterhouseCoopers come in and do an audit on your books and issue with your, your apps, your audited financial statements. We are the same as that. So you would prepare your BE all year long. You would record it. You would keep track of what you're doing. And then come the end of the year when you finished, the likes of Honeycomb will come in, do a rating and issue you with a certificate. So if you're a smaller agency, a smaller company, you would then use an external consultant like you would use external accountants or bookkeepers to help you. But the bigger you are and the more work there is, you would then run your own department in-house and internally to do that. Um, the laws are changing. So if you're going to have somebody that's internal in-house, you need to always stay on top of what is evolving, what is happening. Um, and then over and above that, the likes of Honeycomb is accredited for all 12 sectors that are currently out there, all different facets of the industries. So you need to then obviously understand what's happening. And But if you've got an in-house department, they're specific to your sector. Discovery, finance, et cetera, would be specific to them. The mines just fall under general codes. So Anglo, De Beers and them would fall under general codes. But they understand what they're trying to do. And skills, for example, I mean, Discovery is going to hire people who are going to be more admin-orientated, more um, work in an office environment, that sort of thing. So their team would be specific to that. If you went to Anglo-American, they would be hiring anything from boiler makers to possibly mechanics to work on the trucks, on the mines. So they will identify what their needs are. And the minute the needs are identified, they can fulfill them. And that is where the skills department and then obviously um, your your whole transformation team work towards it. It can be one person in the larger organisations, it can be four or five. Um, and it runs better when it is a team, quite honestly, between you and I, because they're then working towards the company's intent from day one and it'll be materialised on day 365. All right. And then lastly, um, maybe as a, as a way to wrap everything together, you know, neatly with the bow, um, there's another stakeholder inside here. We've spoken quite a bit about the companies themselves, but, you know, do you have any words for perhaps employees um, you know, within the ranks of some of these companies? Maybe you get into an organization, whether small or large, um, I'm guessing larger businesses, there's a lot more opportunity and they actually encourage, you know, to say, hey, if there's any course that you want to do or they literally prescribe that if you want, you know, to continue in this role, you need to take X, Y, Z courses. But in in smaller organizations, it's likely that that structure isn't particularly there. So any word out of, of advice into, you know, maybe someone is working for a smaller organization or an organization that doesn't have um, that formally in place, but they want to take advantage of uh, what you call this, the fact that you can go out and learn and, you know, present this as, as a win-win of some sort, you know, to say, hey, organization, please pray for my 
XYZ course, the government will give you your money back, you know, X, Y, yeah. Any, any thoughts around that? I do, Madira, um, that you mustn't be shy to actually um, ask for it and say it. I think in a lot of companies, and I'll just speak from a honeycomb, um, I physically skill my staff permanently. Um, I, when COVID was hit us, obviously we were all a little bit quiet and I ended up in a position where I actually hired my, took my staff and actually sent them on courses to assist them while we were quiet. I took the opportunity to train them. But nobody came to me and said, hello, I'm here, I want to be trained. Um, and I think people mustn't be scared to say that. People mustn't be scared to learn. Um, I do believe that if you're an organization and you have people that show initiative to learn, that want to actually guide themselves, that want to learn, it is very, very nice from a management perspective to know that and to actually then take the next step and, and put them on a course. And skills does include bursaries. It's not just learnership. So if you decide you want to go and study your BCom accounting or do whatever you want to do, don't be scared to put your name forward and say, this is who I am and advise your clients. And there is so much literature on it, on the internet, everywhere. And the likes of myself at Honeycomb, um, anybody else would actually guide you. Pick up the phone, ask us, say, how do I do this? I will guide you. I have no problem guiding you um, and saying, listen, this is what you need to do. Contact these people and they'll tell you how to do it. But if you're ordering, if you're earning points for skills, you have to be doing some form of training. And a lot of the people are doing the training where they're doing it at the last minute, so they're getting external learners, not internal staff. So if you know your staff want to be trained, by the next time you're doing it, you're going to think twice about paying some guy for 10 learners or 10 bursary candidates. You're going to use your own people because now you know your people are keen. So don't be scared to actually say, can I, please may I, because that actually does work. All right. So you heard it right there. Do not be shy to have, um, you know, some of those uh, conversations um, because uh, if it's done right, at, in the very least, um, you know, it can be a win-win situation because you get to uh, upskill yourself. But at the same time, um, your organization, you know, if um, all is done, you know, according to the book and with the right type of institution, um, you can get uh, your money back according um, to the BEE codes. So that's where we end off uh, today's discussion. It has been very fascinating uh, getting into the ins and outs um, of uh, BEE ratings in South Africa. Africa, um, you know, just looking at, you know, what is a good BE rating and some of the things um, that make up the BE ratings. Um, we spoke quite a bit um, around uh, what's going on in terms of uh, procurement, uh, but the majority of today's conversation was around skills development. Those tend to be um, two of the biggest components that are considered, um, you know, around, um, you know, BE ratings. And um, I think we spoke earlier at the beginning to say that in a lot of instances this is the low hanging fruit simply because this is what an organization can actually control but in that control um, you do need to do things by the books or else you know um, all of your efforts 
will will come undone uh, because you might spend millions um, you know upskilling your staff but the incentive that the government is meant to then give back to you might not come to you if you've used um, you know the wrong type of organization the wrong type of uh, you know you go on the wrong types of courses there's so much that's there and I think the big message that's coming through is there are no shortcuts I think Deirdre has said it a number of times uh, during today's discussion to say there are no shortcuts um, around this stuff. Just um, do your best and then just make sure that you comply with the codes. And um, she actually said something I wasn't expecting because I've always looked at BEE as something that's complicated. And she said, guys, BEE is not that complex. Just take a little bit of time to read what's actually there. Um, and uh, you should be able to, you know, just do a little bit of understanding. Uh, but, you know, the, the one of the biggest places is simply to say, if you're going to be uh, doing your company strategy, uh, because one of the examples that comes through is the fact that, um, you know, just before a year end, we tend to have those situations where uh, companies are scrambling to see what can they do in this particular respect. But if you take a little bit of time just to do some planning, and I think that's where the discussion around having an internal uh, function and being a bigger organization, that's where um, it certainly helps because you can have a strategy you know around all of these things and just make sure that you are you know, doing these things on a progressive basis recording it all the time as opposed to scrambling um, at the end of a financial year and then you keep a, you keep away uh, from some of these mistakes and some of these pitfalls uh, that a lot of organizations then find themselves in so if you are a smaller business I think one of the things that uh, did come through and this is where we're going to end off is to say that you're likely going to be getting this type of advice uh, from um, you know external consultants make sure that they are reputable make sure that uh, they are you know proper and clean because it might cost you you know down the line but as an organization becomes bigger the works becomes more you are likely to then start investing in your own uh, internal department that's dedicated to making all of this happen so that's been it we're chatting to uh, Deirdre Mitchell who is uh, the MD um, of Honeycomb BE Ratings. Deirdre, thank you so much for being with us today. Adiwa, thank you very much for having us. Thank you. And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight, which is a multimedia live production. So from us and the rest of the team. It is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.